Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening, and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Welcome to our final radio show of the year. I will be back in, when will I be back? On January 7th, Mr. Producer, something like that? Two weeks. Lots of things to do during two weeks. Unfortunately, none of it's vacation. But that said, so where this is going to be a blockbuster show. Now, why is that? You know, you know what amazes me? You've got this left-wing outrageous law professor from Harvard who testifies in the most grotesque way as a special pleader for impeachment during the House Judiciary Committee hearing at the request of Jerry Nadler and the Radical Democrats. And he's being quoted all day. It's okay to quote him a little. I've done that. Now, I pointed out what the majority leader of the Senate should do, and he should do it quickly. Nancy Pelosi refused to appoint these managers, which is not compelled by the Constitution, to bring the case to the Senate. And so the Senate feels apparently obliged, at least initially, to sit there like a bunch of senators bumps on the lo- bump on a log and wait around for Nancy Pelosi. And yet the sole power to conduct a trial is in the Senate. Now, there's a number of issues here. Must the Senate hold a trial under the Constitution? The Constitution's silent, so the answer is no. It doesn't say it must. It says it has the sole power in the case of impeachment. So it has discretion. I don't know how you reach an opposite conclusion if you're just following it logically, but it's silent on the issue. So it doesn't compel it. Has the practice been that the Senate holds a trial? Yes. But that's the practice. That's the precedent. It's not the Constitution per se. If the Speaker of the House chooses to take a recess, she controls the schedule. She she controls the vacation. She controls everything in the House of Representatives. She's, She's the closest thing to a dictator we actually have in this country. And she says, I'm not, I'm not sending any information. The article's over there. My manager's over there until I'm happy with the, uh, the rules that are going to be put in place by, by the Senate. And by the way, we're taking two, three weeks off. So you have a nation in a situation where only the Democrats, and some did not, but the vast majority of Democrats, not a single Republican, voted to impeach a president of the United States and doesn't want it adjudicated. 
So politically, they feel they have the best of both worlds, although I believe they're shooting themselves in the temple, but that's a different issue. Our Constitution has never been abused this way, ladies and gentlemen, never. It's never been abused this way in terms of what the House Intelligence Committee did, what the House Judiciary Committee did, what Nancy Pelosi did on her own, declaring that there would be an impeachment inquiry. We've never seen anything like this before throughout our history. So let's go closest to the time when our Constitution was ratified and adopted by the nation. What Nancy Pelosi is doing would be rejected. It wasn't done. We don't have to look back to Nixon. We don't have to look back to Clinton. We don't have to look even back to Johnson. The fact is that the impeachments that were conducted, including with judges, Closest to the, uh, the adoption of our Constitution and its ratification look nothing like what Nancy Pelosi has done. And keep in mind, she's of a mindset where they don't care about the Constitution and they don't care about American history. They care about the, the here and now, which they control. I want you to keep a few other things under consideration. As we look at this, there is literally nothing in our Constitution and nothing in our constitutional history supporting Nancy Pelosi's action or inaction. A delay or an indefinite withholding. There's nothing. Because what she's doing is utterly diabolical. And even the framers of the Constitution didn't take it into consideration. The Constitution says nothing about the Speaker of the House or the House appointing managers. Nothing. The Constitution does not give the House of Representatives, or certainly the Speaker, input into the Senate's trial role. In fact, it says the opposite, that the Senate shall have sole power when it comes to matters of trying impeachments. The House has absolutely no role, whether they send managers or not. Because the framers were brilliant. They would never have granted unbounded, illimitable power to any branch of government or any part of any government, and they didn't. They didn't authorize the Speaker of the House as one person to have this kind of control over the entire impeachment trial process and to hold a nation at bay like this. They would not and they did not create impeachment as a tool for a rogue Speaker of the House. And there are tools that are available for the body politic to respond to this, other than sit back and say, wow, this really blew up in her face. But I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in the Constitution. And the United States Senate and the majority there, the Republicans, and thank God the Republicans are in the majority there because if the Democrats were... The Constitution will be utterly and irreversibly destroyed. Mitch McConnell and his Republican majority can fix this. And they can fix this by quickly doing away with the phony impeachment process and the phony actions by Nancy Pelosi, which are both extra-constitutional and unconstitutional. 
<clears throat> now, for those of you who like this program and come up to me at book signings and other places and say, one of the things I really like about your program, Mark, is you get deeply into substance like few others do, particularly with respect to our history and philosophy and our Constitution. Today's that day, the last day of the year. Today's that day. I've referenced to, uh, with you many times a book written by the late, great Yale professor Raoul Berger, a true constitutional expert, and he was never a lawyer. But so what? Neither was George Washington. And the book's title is Impeachment, the Constitutional Problems, and it is a fascinating book, and I've read it three different times. I read it when it first came out. I read it during the Clinton impeachment, and I read it about three months ago again. What I'm going to do is take an early break, and we're going to go through this, and what you're going to hear is the detail, the thought that went into this impeachment clause. The vast majority of the debate that took place at the Constitutional Convention involved the presidency, and whether to have it or not to have it, and what bribery meant, and what are they referring to, and what, and, and, and what kind of uh, 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 you know scholarship are they going to use, and all the problems it might face, and on and on and on. And then when I'm done reading this to you, not the whole book, little, little pieces that are important, I want you to keep in mind, I want you to, when I'm done, conclude, do you think for one minute they would have created a Speaker of the House with the kind of power that Nancy Pelosi is exercising in this process? Do you think for one second they would have? And is there another example anywhere in the free world, or certainly in the free world at our founding, or when the Constitution was ratified, in which a Nancy Pelosi, a speaker with this kind of power, existed. Remember, these were men who were concerned about the concentration of power. These were men who were also concerned about legislative tyranny. These were men who didn't create a parliament. They created a republic. Would they have created and wanted to have created what Nancy Pelosi has done to the House of Representatives through her small majority, her small temporary majority that she's had for less than a year? Would they have wanted to have created a Speaker of the House with the kind of authority that she claims to be able to exercise? Absolutely not. They never did. It, would never, it never entered their minds that they would create something like that. The contrary. They sought to create the opposite. When we come back, we'll dig in. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. As we celebrate the Christmas and holiday season, we often pause to consider our many blessings. Hillsdale College thanks you for loyalty as it celebrates 175 years of blessings. Now, since 1844, Hillsdale has held fast to its mission to provide the kind of education essential to preserving free government. And for decades... The college has extended its educational mission on behalf of Liberty through a variety of outreach programs. Perhaps you receive Imprimus for free every month or have taken one of Hillsdale's excellent free online courses or have attended one of Hillsdale's free regional events. You know of Hillsdale's refusal to take even one penny of government money. Now, this independence allows the college to focus on promoting its core principles, learning, character, faith, and freedom without government interference. So during this season of blessings, Hillsdale thanks you for your partnership in extending its mission to the country. 
Merry Christmas from Hillsdale College. And to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. I'm going to do my best with this sore throat that, that I've acquired somehow. I love it when the media says that we've been through three impeachments. the third impeachment of a president. Third impeachment, it's historical. We've never been through an impeachment like this, ever. There's nothing historical about it. It's tyrannical. And if they're going to re- reference it, as historical, then maybe they have an obligation to explain why this one's different than the rest. Now let's look at how they they went through this process, just so you can see how Nancy Pelosi has burned it down. And Nancy Pelosi needs to be the focus of this. She's fascistic. And this is Raul Berger. Article 2, Section 4 of the Constitution provides the President, Vice President, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. The path by which the framers arrived at this language is traceable in the records of the Constitutional Convention. Initially, impeachment was to be based upon malpractice or neglect of duty. In the Committee of Detail, this became treason, bribery, or corruption, and was then reduced by the Committee of Eleven to treason or bribery. When George Mason suggested on the floor of the convention the addition of maladministration, James Madison remarked that it was, quote, so vague, unquote, whereupon Madison substituted high crimes and misdemeanors, which was adopted without demure. The special nature of high misdemeanors had already been recognized by the convention. Now, you're gonna, your eyes may start rolling. I want you to listen to the extent, the extent to which these men were dealing with this. So when we have two articles of, <clears throat> of impeachment, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress, they never, ever, ever contemplated such nonsense. They were very specific. They were debating over these words, not generalities. So the special nature of high misdemeanors has already been recognized by the convention, as reported by the Committee on Detail, Article 15, provided that a fugitive from justice charged with treason, felony, or high misdemeanor should be returned to the state from which he had fled. In the convention, the words high misdemeanor were struck out and other crime inserted in order to comprehend all proper cases. It being doubtful whether a high misdemeanor had not a technical meaning too limited, limited inferably to an impeachable offense as distinguished from a misdemeanor ordinarily coupled with a felony in a criminal law. Except for a few early statutes directed at political crimes, high misdemeanors found no place in the criminal law of this country. Like Blackstone, James Wilson, one of the delegates, referred to malversation in office, malversation in office, or what are called high misdemeanors. Impeachments, he states, quote, and offenses and offenders impeachable come not in those descriptions within the sphere of ordinary jurisprudence. They are founded on different principles, are governed by different maxims, and are directed to different objects, unquote. Again, impeachments are confined to political characters, to political crimes and misdemeanors, 
and to political punishments, he said. In the United States, the problem was complicated by the doctrine that there is no federal common law of crimes. So that to constitute a high crime or misdemeanor, it has been maintained there must be a statute which creates an indictable crime. One of the components of impeachment treason is defined in the Constitution, but bribery is not. The framers were content to look to the common law for a definition of bribery. Now, as, as a footnote, since there was no American common law, where did they look? At British common law. He goes on. So, too, when the convention adopted Mason's substitution of high crimes and misdemeanors for the vague maladministration he had at first suggested, the framers invariably had the English cases in mind as giving content to the phrase. A striking assumption by the founders that English law would be applicable is exhibited by the first Congress's prohibition of resort to benefit of clergy as an exemption from capital punishment an exemption first afforded by the common law to the clergy and then to such of a laity as could read. Now, what does that mean to you? Absolutely nothing. What's the general context of mean to you? Absolutely everything. These men labored over the language. They labored over the impeachment language. They labored over what the conditions would be to impeach a president and what the conditions should be in an attempt to remove a president. You hear nothing here about generalities, about platitudes. They debated each and every word. And they knew they were talking about the presidency. Pressing for the impeachment of Justice Douglas, William O. Douglas, Congressman Ford, Gerald Ford, asserted that an impeachable offense is whatever the House and the Senate jointly consider it to be. You've heard legal analysts say this on television. Former federal prosecutors, former judge, they have no idea what they're talking about. The records make quite plain that the framers, far from proposing to confer illimitable, that is, unlimited power to impeach and convict, intended to confer a limited power. Which is, again, why I and others have argued that these Articles of impeachment are absolutely unconstitutional. Now, I want to continue. We have commercial breaks. We believe in capitalism here, so stick with me. I'm marching through this like Sherman through Atlanta. I'll be right back. You hear me talk about Hillsdale College a lot, about its rigorous classical liberal arts curriculum, about its exceptionally bright and patriotic students. 175 years ago, Hillsdale College was founded with a mission defined by four enduring purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. While many institutions have lost their way, Hillsdale College maintains an unwavering commitment to learning, character, faith, and freedom. I've also talked about the great Dr. Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College. He's one of the finest Americans I've ever known. And he explains that these four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, remain inseparable in the activity of education at Hillsdale College. He says, learning is difficult and takes more than talent. It takes hard work, which requires character. Freedom is essential for learning, but it is fragile and constantly under threat, so its principles must be studied by all for the sake of its defense. At Hillsdale, faith and learning are integrated toward God because he is the first authority. 
Folks, if you've ever wondered why I love Hillsdale College, now you know. Visit hillsdale.edu. That's hillsdale.edu for more information. Hillsdale College, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. Remember, that's hillsdale.edu, hillsdale.edu. This is the nation's town hall meeting, and you can join in at 877-381-3811. It's an odd thing. My brain says I want this show to go on infinitely. Because the subject matter is so important. But my throat says, let's get this the hell over with. But my throat loses. Because my brain is right. You know, I, the reason that I donated a copy of the compilation of the Federalist Papers published at the direction of Hamilton to Hillsdale College. The reason that I collect these things, and they're enormously expensive, that I acquired the copy of the letter where the Patriots were begging the New York Assembly for gunpowder, Dr. Warren and others, when they took on the Redcoats. The reason that I acquired a copy of the American cause, the pamphlet written so long ago, so crucial by Thomas Paine, and have donated all of them. The reason I acquired a copy of George Washington's last lease on Mount Vernon and gave it to Mount Vernon And the reason I have a copy right now of a document I haven't even told you about, again, at enormous expense, even for me, of the first appointment of an Associate Supreme Court Justice of the United States by George Washington, William Cushing. And the reason at some point I'll be donating that too. And the reason I have spent probably 48, 49, 50 years of my life studying our founding and studying the Constitution and studying the Declaration and everything behind them and everything about them. And by the way, you learn something every day. Is because I love liberty. And I know you do too. And I want to understand it. I want to understand how some people move in one direction and some people move in another direction. How some societies breed tyranny and some societies breed liberty. What is it? And one thing I've come to learn. One thing I've come to learn. Is that liberty is used by tyrants to destroy liberty. And we have tyrants among us. Despite what the press say. Despite all the reporting and all the broadcasting. Nancy Pelosi is a tyrant. Not because she's a liberal, not because she's a Democrat, because she meets the definition of a tyrant. And you can see the exquisite detail with which these men in Philadelphia during the Constitutional Convention were, were trying to make decisions about the civil society and what kind of government they wanted to institute And their fear at all times was tyranny of one form or another. 
Now let's get back to Professor, the late great Professor Raoul Berger. And again, he quotes Gerald Ford, then a congressman, the minority leader in the House, on William O. Douglas and the impeachment. And he says impeachment is anything that the House says it is. And this has been repeated. It's very odd when you have legal analysts quoting Gerald Ford for a definitive statement on impeachment. And the records make quite plain, writes Berger, that the framers, far from proposing to confer illimitable power, unlimited power, to impeach and convict, intended to confer a limited power. Why do you think they were debating this language and put it in the Constitution? Why do you think they divided the powers? Why do you think it takes two-thirds to convict and it has to be in a completely different body, a Senate? And all three branches will have to participate in this process. They didn't just surrender this to a speaker, to one individual. Before George Mason moved to add maladministration to treason, bribery, he explained that treason, as defined in the Constitution, will not reach many great and dangerous offenses. Hastings is not guilty of treason. He was talking about a, uh, an impeachment in Britain. Hastings. Attempts to subvert the Constitution may not be treason as above defined. It is the mere or the more necessary to extend the power of impeachments. So Mason proposed to extend the power of impeachments to re quote, great and dangerous offenses. Attempts to subvert the Constitution by adding maladministration. But James Madison demurred because so vague a term, I quote him, as maladministration will be equivalent to a tenure during the pleasure of the Senate. Is that not exactly what's taking place here, except the pleasure of the House? And he said, high crimes and misdemeanors was accepted in its place. Manifestly, this substitution was made for the purpose of limiting, not expanding, the initial Mason proposal of maladministration. Shortly before the convention had re rejected high misdemeanors in another context because it had a technical meeting to limit it. So the adoption of high crimes and misdemeanors exhibits an intent to embrace the limited technical meaning of the words for purposes of impeachment. Not abuse of power and obstruction of Congress, for God's sakes. He says that consequence would attach in any event for use of a technical term fully ascertained by the common or civil law would require reference to that law for its precise meaning. If high crimes and misdemeanors had an ascertainable content at the time of the when the Constitution was adopted, that content furnishes the boundaries of the power, the boundaries of the power, the limits of the power. He says it is no more open to Congress to stray beyond those boundaries the language in the Constitution, than it is to include in the companion word bribery an offense such as robbery, which had a quite different common law connotation. The design of the framers to confer a limited power is confirmed by the rejection of removal of address, address, which knew no limits. 
Even so, some uneasiness apparently was excited by the breadth of the power. So they were even remained concerned about it. For there were repeated assurances that impeachment was meant only for great injuries, quote-unquote. This is out of the Constitutional Convention. Great misdemeanors, quote-unquote. James Iredell, later a Supreme Court justice, told the North Carolina Convention that, quote, the occasion for its exercise, that is impeachment, will arise from acts of great injury to the community. Impeachment, said Governor Johnston in that convention, is a mode of trial pointed out for great misdemeanors against the public. From James Wilson's expression of hope in the Pennsylvania Convention that impeachments, quote, will seldom happen. It is inferable that he, too, was concerned only with serious misconduct. In this, the founders were but reflecting English sentiment. English sentiment. As was well put by Solicitor General, later Lord Chancellor Summers, who stated in Parliament in 1691 that the power of impeachment ought to be like Goliath's sword, kept in the temple and not used but on great occasions. This, I hope, is why you listen to this program on the last broadcast of 2019. The peaks of the English practice were evidently familiar to the founders. In the federal convention, George Mason said corruption would be impeachable. Governor Morris agreed that corruption and some few other offenses, quote-unquote, ought to be impeachable. Madison added that protection against the negligence of perfidy of the chief magistrate, quote-unquote, were indispensable. The president, said Madison, might pervert his administration into a scheme of peculation or oppression. He might betray his trust to a foreign power. And Morris added that he may be bribed to betray his trust. And that's where the bribery comes in and what they meant by betray a trust to his foreign power. And that is, he might be paid by a foreign power to betray his trust and to be a loyalist to another country. In the Virginia Ratification Convention, Madison stated that if the president be connected in any suspicious manner with any person and there be grounds to believe that he will shelter him, he may be impeached. He also stated that were the president to commit anything so atrocious, atrocious as to summon only a few states, that is, senators, to consider a treaty, he would be impeached for a misdemeanor. Francis Corbin and Henry, Henry Pendleton considered the giving of bad advice by ministers impeachable. In North Carolina, James Iredell said, I suppose the only instances in which the president would be liable to impeachment will be where he had received a bribe or had acted from some corrupt motive or other. General C.C. Pickney said in South Carolina that those are impeachable who have amiss or betrayed their public trust. An abuse of trust by the president, said Edward Rutledge, there was impeachable. The net effect of these remarks seems to me, he writes, is to preclude resort to impeachment of the president for petty misconduct. Hamilton's reference to, quote, the awful discretion which a court of impeachment must necessarily have to doom to honor or to infamy the most confidential and the most distinguished characters of the community, unquote, goes beyond the presidency. But as will appear, the restriction of high crimes and misdemeanors to great offenses for others than the president raises still other problems. But we're not going to go into that because he talks about other civil officers and judges. 
There's more. I want to continue with you. Right after this. Mark Lovin. As we celebrate the Christmas and holiday season, we often pause to consider our many blessings. Hillsdale College thanks you for loyalty as it celebrates 175 years of blessings. Now, since 1844, Hillsdale has held fast to its mission to provide the kind of education essential to preserving free government. And for decades, the college has extended its educational mission on behalf of Liberty through a variety of outreach programs. Perhaps you receive Primus for free every month or have taken one of Hillsdale's excellent free online courses, or have attended one of Hillsdale's free regional events. You know of Hillsdale's refusal to take even one penny of government money. Now, this independence allows the college to focus on promoting its core principles, learning, character, faith, and freedom without government interference. So during this season of blessings, Hillsdale thanks you for your partnership in extending its mission to the country. Merry Christmas from Hillsdale College, and to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. The last Life, Liberty, and Levin of the year, the new one, the last new one of the year is this Sunday. Please don't miss it, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox. This Sunday... My guest is Ken Starr, a full hour, former independent counsel in the Whitewater scandal. And we cover everything. If you like the Dershowitz interview, you're going to like this interview too. This is part of what I do to try and bring information and substance in an entertaining way, but not in a cheesy, annoying way to you, the people, you Levinites out there. So don't forget this Sunday, mark it down. 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox is the last new Life, Liberty, and Levin, and we have a blockbuster show, a full-hour interview. It'll be Ken Starr and me. And please don't forget, today is December 20th. To secure your copy of Unfreedom of the Press, it is a magnificent Christmas gift. I know people are coming up to me on the street with the book, asking me to sign it, and I'm doing the best I can. But you should go to Amazon.com, get your copy. You can have it in your hands by tomorrow or the next day. A perfect Christmas gift, a perfect Hanukkah gift, and a crucially important book for its times. It's the number one political book of the year, the number one press book of the year, the number one conservative book of the year. Top of the list. Whether or not there's a list out there. All right. Let's see here. I need to do, uh, oh, this is, yes, yes. I'm operating off my iPhone, ladies and gentlemen, so that's the way. If you saw the way I was operating, yeah, I had to get a camera in here. People laugh. This lesson, this discussion on impeachment. I mean, there's so much more. But before I do, before the end of the first hour of the program, I hope you'll stick with us. It's the last show of the year on the radio program. Nancy Pelosi trying to blackmail the United States Senate. Trying to blackmail the United States uh, Senate while trying to cripple the President of of the United States. I want you to listen to me very carefully. One person out of one congressional district who has no nationwide representation, who did not stand for national office, 
taking complete iron fist to control the House of Representatives through a small majority, a temporary small majority that is less than a year old. And has tried to bring the presidency to its knees and is now trying to bring the United States Senate to its knees. She is tyrannical and she is fascistic. I'm deeply, deeply troubled by the lack of an immediate reaction, effective reaction, other than a floor speech by Mitch McConnell, who has as his primary duty to protect the Constitution and the institution that he leads, the United States Senate. Nobody said it would be easy, but it's not hard either. Put an end to it. If the Speaker of the House has now led an unconstitutional impeachment for the reasons I've spent the last hour explaining and weeks and weeks explaining in the lead-up to the impeachment, that there's no such thing of impeachment for abuse of power and obstruction of Congress and the processes and the traditions that were violated as they stomped through our Constitution. Her withholding the ability of the Senate to act means the Senate doesn't have to act under our Constitution. And they ought to put an end to this. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, So... Just to end this issue for this program. In evaluating the uses of impeachment, as Raul Berger writes in his fantastic book, we should not close our eyes to its political inception and continued political coloration, even in the cases of the English justices who had offended Parliament by assisting the king to carry out detested policies. The drawing of political lines goes to the motivation. Motivation behind the given impeachment. The motivation behind the given impeachment. Not the definition of the terms of impeachment. And he says, and here we need to recall that in the great English impeachments, The charges were often the sheerest facade for a politically motivated proceeding. It's exactly what's taking place. But be the motivation what it may, writes Berger, in this country, impeachment must proceed within the confines of high crimes and misdemeanors, as exhibited by the prior English practice. No judicial impeachment, it may be added, aroused anything like the furious factionalism exhibited in the impeachment of President Andrew Johnson, which also lacked the normal breaking action of conviction by a two-thirds vote because of the overwhelming representation of Republicans in both houses. The critical focus, in sum, should be not on political animus, 
for that is the nature of the beast. But on whether Congress is proceeding within the limits of, quote, high crimes and misdemeanors, unquote, and affording a fair trial, as was emphatically not the case in the impeachment of President Andrew Johnson. The impeachment of President Donald Trump will go down in history as a more outrageous case than Andrew Johnson. I've had the opportunity to read that transcript in the Senate deliberations. As well as the history behind and the matters and events that led up to his impeachment. In many ways it was an abomination, but it was in some ways much more understandable than what's taken place against Donald Trump. And I'm telling you, particularly those who are in your 20s and 30s, when you outlive me, 40 or 50 years from now, you're going to remember this program and you're going to remember the other programs where I've pointed out as passionately, as cerebrally, as any way I can what an abomination this is to our Constitution and to the people. And in the end, I want you to know something. The intention here is what I've always said it is. It is a coup. And it is a coup aimed at you. It is a coup to take your vote away in 2016. It is a coup in an attempt to destroy the election of 2020. You know, the Obama administration, more than any foreign power, interfered in our 2016 election through its FBI through its intelligence agencies, and through its friends in the press. And now, and now, the Democrats in the House, with the support of Democrats in the media, in the Senate, and elsewhere, are doing the same thing in a different way that is interfering in the 2020 election. What Nancy Pelosi is doing is not just delaying this to try and blackmail the United States Senate and the Republicans, McConnell in particular. She's also doing it to try and prevent this president from clearing his name. And to have this hang over his head is also intended as president, to prevent him from nominating anybody to the Supreme Court should a vacancy occur on the Supreme Court. But I want you to think now, we've been into the specific more generally. Step back. Since when in our country, since when in our country do we create in a situation where an individual has a cloud hanging over his or her head that that individual cannot clear. The framers of your Constitution, more specifically, the first Congress, the first Congress and the legislatures in the states knew the the disastrous damage that can be done to an individual. An individual if they are accused of a crime or accused of an offense without the ability to quickly resolve the matter. 
the whole notion of speedy trials is in the Bill of Rights. We've passed statutes to try and enforce it. And there have been complications, but nonetheless, that's the objective. As imperfectly as it's executed. Here we have the, the fascistic Speaker of the House, who has as her purpose to slow down the ability of a president to clear his name or defend himself. So we have an unconstitutional impeachment. We have the violation of traditional due process rules applied to past presidents and judges. We have two articles of impeachment that are utterly, utterly without constitutional merit. We just walk through that. Now, the same woman is trying to control what's taking place in the Senate and other aspects by using the impeachment as a political tool beyond impeachment. It is she who needs to be removed. Unfortunately, the only way to remove her is through expulsion. Is through expulsion. And you need a majority vote to expel her. Some people have said, why don't you impeach her? Because it's been held that members of Congress are not civil officers for the purpose of the impeachment clause. And so they're not technically subject to impeachment. But call it impeachment, call it expulsion, whatever it is. The only people who can expel her are you. By taking out those so-called 29 or 30 moderate Democrats, as well as other Democrats who represent you, who may not be all that, uh, that primed to win election. In the end, it's up to we the people. That's what the framer said. Now, it's more and more difficult for we the people to actually have any power because more and more government decisions are being made by judges and by this massive administrative state that I've been writing about even long before President Trump became a candidate for president. And others are now talking about it. That's the difficulty. But if, but if the Democrat Party and the media, and if a Speaker of the House get away with changing the course of an election and changing the course of history by manufacturing, by contriving unconstitutional articles of impeachment, steamrolling through the tradition of due process that's been applied in such instances by past Congresses, and even now uses the impeachment process to blackmail the Senate because she wants to control the outcome. She wants to control the outcome of a trial. If this isn't addressed now, it'll never be addressed. And the spurious arguments they make are almost unnecessary to point out they want to call witnesses now when these same witnesses they didn't call in the house because they were in a hurry now they're not in a hurry and they don't want to call the the key witnesses when it applies to their party and their scheming like the so-called whistleblower and hunter biden how much more are we the people going to put up with this with this stuff 
Hopefully not much longer. When we come back, I want to talk about this newspaper. This evangelical Christian newspaper that has called for the impeachment of the president. You know, this newspaper, many religious newspapers of all sorts, of all denominations, write all kinds of things that never get anybody's attention. And yet this one, this one, the Democrat Party press loves and can't give enough attention. Look at all the websites. Look at all the newspapers. Look at all the broadcast reports. So out of necessity, I must respond to this. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. You know, if I wanted to become famous in the usual circles for, for about a day or two or three, I would come out strongly against the President of the United States. That's what a lot of these never-Trumpers have tried in radio and out of radio. And they have failed because they're used by the left and by the media, and then they're thrown away, as they should be. Mark Golley is one of these individuals. Now... Mark Golley is the editor of Christianity Today. I can't think of a single thing this newspaper has published that CNN has cared about in the past. Can you, Mr. Producer? Nothing. Now, before we go to this gentleman, who now has come out for the impeachment of the President of the United States because he believes he's immoral, I would like to ask Mr. Golley, how can you call the President of the United States who has taken more action, more action to try and protect unborn human beings than any president in American history, who has attempted to point judges to our courts, who believe in the sanctity of life, who has withdrawn each and every presidential fiat issued by Barack Obama expanding and extending abortion here and abroad at taxpayer expense. And you call this president immoral because you might not like what he says from time to time? The things that this president has done are more moral 
as apply to the people of this country than most other presidents, certainly in modern times. So this is a disgrace that the editor of Christianity Today would would make these comments. And of course, he shows up on CNN. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's a journalist, first and foremost, or shall I say an opinion writer. Here he is. Cut 15. Go. There are times, of course, when uh, there are issues that transcend politics. So this, uh, to me, this is one of them. I mean, I grant that the, the Democrats have been partisan in their efforts to remove the pres- president. And at times, I think, have been unfair. There's no question about that. But I, uh, in this particular instance, the facts that arose in the impeachment hearings rise above that partisan level. And when, one of the things I'm trying to say in the You, editorial- sir, don't even understand what the Constitution says. And that's part of the problem with all these so-called journalists. They don't even want to be informed about the Constitution. This is an utterly unconstitutional impeachment. If you follow what the framers intended, if you look at the debates as we very briefly and summarily went through in the first hour, and yet no moral indignation about that, none. Go ahead. This is reality. No matter what, how it came about or the motives that helped it come about, this is the world we live in, this is the president we have, and we need to deal with that honestly. As you take a step beyond the politics here, and you say his actions are flat-out immoral. See, see, this is, this is a journalist, this guy. What's his first name, Berman? You're a disgrace, you pathetic punk. You really are. You're a dork-looking moron. That's what you are. And uh, you take a step beyond the politics here, and you say this is flat-out immoral. Would they... Would they Pose such a question to anybody criticizing any Democrat at any time. This guy won't even say abortion after birth is immoral. That is Berman. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't think that's a particularly unusual or uh, surprising insight. I mean, people have been saying that for some time. The question is, when does his behavior, which is described as immoral accurately, rise to the level where he's no longer... Well, which uh, behavior is he talking about, Mr. Producer? He's very, very... I know in, the, in his editorial he has it, but he's very loath to really get into that. And by the way, by implication, of course, I want you folks to understand that you're immoral too. Because if you defend and act openly support, aggressively support an individual who's immoral for their immoral deeds then you're immoral too. And every Republican in the House is immoral. That's what this guy's saying. That's the rational, logical implication of his comments. That we're all immoral. Must be nice being the editor at uh, his newspaper. Sounds like a leftist at CNN. Cut 16, go. When Christians of any stripe support a cause that uh, strikes me as manifestly immoral, it does damage to the cause that I've given my life to. Well, so what? You're one person. And what cause have you given your life to? Faith? Christianity? Well, there's a lot of people out there who've given their, their lives to their cause, faith, Christianity, and other faiths, who are actually quite pleased, some pleasantly surprised by what the president has done when it comes to matters of faith. 
in this country. Appalling. This is just appalling. Dresses up the, the, this political hit as, as, as a moral cause. Go ahead. So I think that's one part of the equation that all Christians, especially my brothers and sisters in the evangelical world, need to think about more seriously and more deeply. So you folks in the evangelical world, you're just not thinking seriously and deeply enough. You're no Mark Golly, that's for sure. And so we need to remove the president, you know. And if you don't agree with that, you must be immoral too. If you defend and support and vote for this president, according to Mark Golly, well, you're immoral too. Now, lucky for me, I don't give a damn what Mark Golly has to say. I draw my own conclusions. I listen to the people I want to listen to. I read what I want to read. And I don't read him. And by the way, all the people citing him today and all the people using him today, they don't give a damn about him or his newspaper or evangelical Christians in the least. I'll be right back. Don't ask him for middle ground. There is no middle ground. Talk with Mark Levin now at 877-381-3811. You know, Bernie Sanders called uh, Benjamin Netanyahu a racist. Did he not, Mr. Producer? I I need to deal with this. Once and for all. Can you play that? Go right ahead. How would you respond to Israeli expansion of settlements? Would you link that to foreign aid to Israel? Israel has, and I say this as somebody who lived in Israel as a kid, proudly Jewish. Israel has the right. How is he proudly Jewish? He's born a Jew. How is he proudly Jewish? Can somebody tell me? He supported the Iran Contra deal, uh, the uh, the Iran uh, deal. He opposes support for Israel. I don't know what he's done that shows that he's proudly Jewish. Now, you, you Gentiles out there, I'm, 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 this is important to you too, I think. With a man who's born a Jew, but who's a Marxist. Karl Marx was born a Jew. Was Karl Marx pro-Jew? Of course not. Marxists for the most part, reject religion. They reject faith. Their ideology is to replace religion and faith so that the people have faith and a religious zealotry in the government. So if you're a Marxist, and I don't play games with Bernie Sanders. He's an old red. I know exactly who he is. I know where he's from. I know the whole, the whole schmear. He's a Marxist. And the media have let him get away with it. Because they're sympathetic to him. To say I grew up in Israel, he was on a kibbutz. Which is another socialist experiment for most people. But so What? There are even Marxists in Israel. There are self-hating Jews in Israel. As there are in the United States. As there are in the Democrat Party. As there are all over the world. Why is it that Talib and Omar and AOC 
are so close to Bernie Sanders? Because he's so pro-Israel? Why is it that Talib and Omar and AOC, rabid anti-Semites, two of whom have talked about the destruction of Israel, why is it that they're so close to Bernie Sanders and he to them? And he gets away with this at these Democrat debates. I have to confess, I don't watch these Democrat com- d- debates. When it gets closer, I'll watch. If I wanted to watch a half a dozen liberal nudniks, I'd go back to law school and sit in the back and watch them debate with each other. Bunch of clowns. But that said, Bernie Sanders gets away with this. But not here. Go ahead. But to exist in peace and security. But what? Now, these are throwaway words. How does Israel exist in peace and security? When Hezbollah and Hamas have 150,000 missiles aimed at their cities. When Fatah, the so-called moderate wing, and they're not moderate, gives lifetime pensions and subsidies to the families of terrorists who killed Jews. When Fatah executes, it's the penalty, capital punishment, any Palestinian who sells any property to a Jew. And it goes on and on and on. When your neighbors say they do not believe in your right to exist, how do you live in peace? As Benjamin Netanyahu has said, If they lay down their arms, there will be peace. If we lay down our arms, there will be slaughter. Ours. Go ahead. U.S. foreign policy must be about. It's not just being pro-Israel. We must be pro-Palestinian. Tell me, tell me, tell me, Bernie the Red. Are you pro-Taiwan? How come you never speak out for Taiwan? Are you pro-Hong Kong? How come you never speak out for the people? Isn't this fascinating? He supports these democracy movements, he says. The people should speak. Why doesn't he speak out for those young students in Hong Kong? He never does. Or the people in Taiwan, he never does. Or the people in Venezuela, he never does. Or the people in Cuba. He never does. Have you noticed? Instead he keeps pointing to Denmark. Look at Denmark. Look at Denmark. We don't want to look at Denmark. I can't think of a single instance, or maybe there are a few, but very rare, where Bernie Sanders has pointed to full-blown Marxist socialist states and the genocide that exists and has condemned them without excuses. I can't think of one. That Israel, Israel's the problem. And his usual punchline is about to come. Go ahead. I want you to listen to the Democrats in the audience cheering Bernie Sanders. The Democrat Party, the growth of anti-Semitism And their hate for Israel is at emergency levels. Unbelievable levels. And the longer we ignore this, the worse it's going to get. 
You don't have an AOC or an Omar or a Talib in the Republican Party in the House or the Senate. There are none. Go ahead. In my view, we must understand that right now in Israel, we have leadership under Netanyahu, who has recently, as you know, been indicted for bribery, who, in my view, is a racist. See, let's just stop there. This is what the old communist thugs do. He's been indicted for bribery. I hope you watched my interview with the fabulous Arthur Ferguson, a real former federal prosecutor, among other things. Brilliant man. On the charges against Netanyahu. I hope you watched that on Levin TV that was in front of the paywall, and we linked to it on my various social sites. And it's over at Blaze, as well as Levin TV. Bernie Sanders has no idea what's going on with Netanyahu and that attorney general. No no idea whatsoever. None. But tell me, why hasn't Raul Castro been indicted for murder and drug running and a whole host of crimes? How about Maduro? How about Xi? How about Putin? We can go on and on. He has a greater hate for Netanyahu than he does for any of these genocidal maniacs. He has never called Maduro a racist. He has never called Xi a racist, but he is. Look what he's doing to the Muslims and to the Christians. He has never called Putin a racist. Look what he's doing to the Muslims and the Ukrainians and the Crimeans and the Georgians. He's never called the Castros racists when they are. Che Guevara used to mock the Cubans who were particularly dark. He was a racist. But he'll never mention that. But he'll call a man who's not a racist, who's trying to defend his country from terrorists, a racist. This is how diabolical Bernie Sanders is. Danny, uh, uh, Bernie Sanders is a racist, he's an anti-Semite, he is a bigot, and he is a Marxist. And I challenge him to come on my program and debate me on every one of those points. Every one of those points. Publicly, nationally, internationally, I am challenging Bernie Sanders to come on this program and debate me and defend himself. But he won't, because he's a coward. He throws out these lines like the Marxists learn. Gets the audience jumping up like clapping seals. And there are the media, the Holocaust-denying media, the Ukrainian starvation, genocide, 1932-33 media, covered up these, these massacres. Actually, in the case of Ukraine, put out, propaganda at the New York Times. I'm more than ready for you, Bernie. Bernie Sanders. The truth is, Bernie Sanders is just BS, exactly like his initials tell us. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
Very special top of the hour next hour, as far as I'm concerned, so I hope you'll stick with us in what is soon our final hour of the year in radio broadcasting. And what a year it's been. And we'll talk about that, too. You know, my friends, for the past three years, I've been pounding the airwaves about the coup being attempted and perpetrated against our president. There's something similar being orchestrated against Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel. It's because that's the nature of the left. They claim to like democracy when they hate it. They claim to like the voter mandates, except when they disagree with it. So they build these massive infrastructures in order to take down or control or burden people with whom they disagree. And that's who they are and that's the way they are. I bet you haven't heard the whole story about Netanyahu. We just exposed this on Levin TV with my special guest, as I was mentioning, Arthur Ferguson. Together, Arthur and I uncovered this politically driven campaign to oust our country's friend, Benjamin Netanyahu. Because this issue is so important, I want to personally invite you to watch it by going to levintv.com, L-E-V-I-N-T-V.com, and signing up for a free 30-day trial. Watch the shows. Quickly see how we bring you content and perspective found nowhere else on TV. And expose the left, whichever side of the ocean they are rearing their ugly heads. And if you use code LEVIN, you can get $10 off your annual plan. It's the end of the year. The holidays are here. Now's the time to act. LevinTV.com, L-E-V-I-N-T-V.com, promo code LEVIN. How about that? Lots of LEVIN. Now, a story like these are further evidence of how Optima Tax Relief solves tough IRS problems. Eric fell five years behind with the IRS, then boom. Suddenly, they froze his bank account and demanded money he didn't have. So he called Optima Tax Relief. Now, Optima took control, got his bank account released, and set him up with a plan that was hundreds of dollars a month less than the IRS initially tried to milk out of him. Problem was solved. That's how Optima has resolved over a billion dollars in tax debt for hardworking Americans. Optima steps between you and the IRS to help stop aggressive collection actions, protect your assets, and get your life back. Call for your free consultation. Ask if you qualify for the Fresh Start Initiative, because if you do, you could save thousands and get out from under your IRS nightmare. Call 800-499-6300. 800-499-6300. That's 800-499-6300. Mr. Producer, do we have an excellent caller, or do we have an irregular American? Yes. And... XM Satellite, Jim, a regular American in Wisconsin. How are you, Jim? Hi, uh, Mr. Levin. Uh, thanks for taking the call. Just wanted to say I uh, appreciate all you do, and uh, God bless, and Happy Hanukkah, and uh, Merry Christmas. wanted to tell you, I was in D.C. recently and uh, at the Tomb of the Unknown, and uh, I watched there for a while, and I thought to myself as I looked at the field of stone all around me, I said, uh, I wish Pelosi could come here and whisper to the people there and say, is it okay that what I'm doing, is that okay with you guys? And I'm sure if you listen, you'll get your answer. It's not. Mm. And I served in the Marine Corps. I came out of captain quite a long time ago. And uh, 
it bothers me what's being what's happening to our country. I look around the fields of stone. I look at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, and I think of all these men and women who gave their lives for this country. And what what's happening to it? And it it breaks my heart. I want to thank you for your service. Captain's a big deal, and uh, I uh, I agree with you one hundred percent. Except in this regard, I don't believe Nancy Pelosi would be moved one centimeter. She I knows exactly what she's doing, and she's diabolical. All right, my friend. Thank you for your service. Who's next, Mr. Producer? In Pennsylvania, Mike, XM Satellite. How are you, Mike? Great. You're a great American. Thank you. (laughs) Hey, I just wanted to say I really think we're giving the Democrats more credit and attention than what they deserve. They basically rendered themselves irrelevant. But how would you know they rendered themselves irrelevant if we weren't paying attention to it? Well, that's well, exactly. They they took their best shot. okay. And and in the midst of it, it's actually increased Trump's popularity, the money, the funding. And I I, I don't disagree with you, but let me tell you what I told a room full of great patriots the other night. uh, At the Turning Point USA event. It's not just about politics. And I'm glad because I believe what you're right is you're saying is right. It's about the Constitution. The Constitution has been damaged, and it needs to be fixed. And the only way to fix it is for the Senate to do what I suggest, in my view, humbly. Well, and that's- Okay, so there's two different things here. Whether it backfires on them politically is important, but the damage to the Constitution is grave, and it will be ongoing unless it's fixed. Go ahead. Well, and what I'm saying is that the Democrats have been acting like irresponsible teenagers where the adults in the room need, we have business. To no, they haven't. They've been acting like fascists, not irresponsible teenagers who get in trouble, you know, smoking pot. No, their conduct is fascistic. It strikes at the very core of a republic, in my opinion. I get what you're saying, but I use the terms I use for a reason. Anyway, go ahead. And the, the adults in the room. We All right, have thanks more- for your call. I got it. Adults in the room, teenagers. The analogy doesn't work for me. It's not about the adults in the room and the teenagers. There are adults who believe in liberty and there's adults who believe in tyranny. And the adults in the majority in the House of Representatives, it's not about parents and children. It's about liberty and tyranny and fascism and republicanism. So I'm not going to dumb down the analogy for reasons I don't even understand. Who's next, Mr. Producer? Yasim in Maryland on the Mark Levin app. Go. Hi, Mark. I have a question. Uh, Mm -hmm. Since uh, Chief Justice has to preside over the Senate trial, does his participation imply constitutionality of the final outcome, thus making it difficult to be challenged in Supreme Court later? It's not going to be challenged in the Supreme Court later. Uh, There's nothing to challenge that the Supreme Court's going to take up. These are considered, this impeachment process is considered mostly a political process, even though the substance is required or stated and set forth in the Constitution. So the courts have a very, very limited role. I think uh, Professor Dershowitz is right. If they do something fundamental, like change the constitutional two-thirds vote and that sort of thing, Uh, But I get your point. I really do get your point. I just don't think we're going to get any relief from the courts as uh, as a factual matter. 
I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin, the number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Let me begin this hour thanking you for being there, thanking you for listening to this radio program. I have the best audience, the most loyal audience, the smartest audience in radio. You know, they used to test this. They had what they called P1s, P2s, and P3s. You remember this, Mr. Producer? And the P1s were the most loyal listeners and P2s and P3s. And they used to test us on WABC in New York. They don't do a lot of testing of this anymore. And my audience, you and I, were always number one in terms of loyalty. Always. You're also the smartest audience. Now, how do I know that? I read to you in the first hour of the program from a book that is used by law professors, not in teaching classes, but in trying to figure out impeachment. And you were there listening to it because you want to know. I do a different kind of program. We have a lot of fun. Every day is not college day, but it's our country, and I want us to explore it together. And by exploring our country, I don't mean just taking stuff off websites or newspaper headlines. Sometimes that's important, but other times we got to go on our own. We got to go where the future takes us, guided by history and guided by philosophy. And we have to figure out things on our own. Everything's not hit, 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 run, 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 run. That's who I am. So we do this differently here. And you're there listening. When I started my program on Fox at the request of the executives there, and I told them what I'd be prepared to do, we were immediately told by various left-wing websites and others that it would be too boring over Media Matters and something called Raw and other left-wing sites, they mocked their show, first couple of shows. It's the number one show on Sunday night, bar none. And we beat CNN and MSNBC combined. We started at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. We've already moved to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And for a good part of the year, we're smacking the teeth up against football. Or we're up against the World Series. Or up against the Stanley Cups or whatever it is. And we're still the number one show on cable news. Whether it's 10 p.m. or 8 p.m. It's because of you. You want to know stuff. You want to learn stuff. You want to hear stuff. All the barking and yelling and all the rest doesn't do a damn thing. 
the books that I write are not easy books. I don't dumb down the books. Some are harder than others. But they've covered an enormous part of our culture, of our society, of our history, of our future. All eight of them in different ways. And so many of you have read them or read parts of them or listened to them or listened to me talk to, about them. That's, that's absolutely wonderful. And then there's Levin TV, my fourth job. My biggest job is as a parent and husband, but my fourth job. Where virtually every day we walk into our studio and we put together a program and I spend three, four hours on our Levin TV program where there's no breaks, there's no teleprompters, there's no cue cards. And it's a different format that allows a different kind of program. And hundreds and hundreds of thousands of you have joined. Now, I never dreamed when I wanted to get into radio when I was 16 years old and I kind of gave it up. I didn't really pursue it. I pursued the law. Or when I started a Sunday show for nothing for two hours from noon to 2 p.m. It became a hit. Nobody expected it, and I didn't expect it. And then I did a one-hour show, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern on WABC. I mean, I'm starting the biggest station in the country. That's a pretty big deal. And I had to prove myself there. Everybody thinks this is handed to you. Nothing's handed to you. I'm not a Kennedy. Then it went the two hours. Then it went the three hours. Then they sought to syndicate it, and here we are. But none of this is possible without you, my audience. I have never understood people who disrespect their audiences, like a CNN or MSNBC or whatever it is. I look up to my audience. I look up to each and every one of you. You're taking time out of your lives that can be spent doing something else to listen to me, to watch me, to read something I've written, whatever it is. And now our podcast, our podcast is going through the roof. No radio host has a podcast that's going through the roof, but I do because of you. You've decided, you'll decide when you listen to my show. And so you download the show and our podcast is taken off. It's not that I have the golden touch. It's that I have you, my audience. And I tell you what I think. I don't play you. I'm not positioning. One day I'm a conservative. The next day I'm a populist. I don't do this stuff. If I go from Ted Cruz and then I support Trump and the reasons I support Trump, you go through this and my rationale every step of the way, one step at a time. It's right there on our archives. Life is too short to play games. I've said to my kids, I've said to my wife, when I'm on my deathbed, 
I want to know that I lived my life the way that I should have lived it, that it didn't compromise my principles. You can make compromises, but don't give up your principles. You're only here for a short while. Stick by your principles. So we come to the end of another broadcast year. I'm not the longest broadcaster. I'm not the oldest broadcaster. Even though I'm one of the biggest broadcasters, I'm not the biggest broadcaster. But I am the most satisfied and the happiest among them, I can tell you that. Thanks to you. I find our military hymns to be extremely inspiring and patriotic. And God bless America the same. So in honor of our military, who we honor every night, in honor of all the men and women who protect us, including the men and women in blue, and all the rest of you who go nameless, some of you have to operate in the shadows, in honor of all the you patriots out there who love your country and your constitution, salute the flag, say the Pledge of Allegiance, and sing the national anthem. These are important things for a culture to survive. All of you who contribute to society without being asked. All of you who take care of your own children without asking others to pay for it. All of you. I want to thank you. And in your honor, the Marines. Now, 
If you're like me and you work hard and you work a lot of hours and you work most of the year, this is the time exclusively for family. Even if family is spread across the country or even across the globe, to pick up the phone and talk to them. This is the time for family. Even though what takes place in Washington is so crucially important to us, not because we want it to be, but because they won't leave us alone. Because they won't leave our elections alone. They won't leave our businesses alone, our jobs alone, our health care alone, our schools alone, our kids alone. So we have to defend ourselves and fight back. But this is the special time to stay focused on your family. And I have to work on it too. I have to work on it too. I don't vacation very much. In fact, I can't think the last time I took a week off for vacation other than last year this time, quite frankly. And unfortunately, the time I did take off in the last 14, 15 months wasn't very pleasant. The passing of my parents. And that's my point to you. I am so thankful I spent as much time I did with my parents before, the, before they left this world. And spent time with other family members. And spent time with my little dogs. Very, very, very important to take stock of what's going on around you. When we come back... Ollie North, who I haven't talked to in a few years, I don't think. And the last time we bumped into each other at Costco when I was getting a hot dog. I'll be right back. Mark Levin, tough as hell. That's why I like Mark Levin. And I'm not sure a lot of people like him. He's tough as hell. But I like him. I love him. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Well, we tried to get Ollie. There must be some kind of a technical glitch. Isn't that what we call it, Rich? So maybe after the year we'll have him on. It's an excellent book. It's called The Rifleman. Remember that show, The Rifleman? With Chuck Connors? I love that show. The Western, The Rifleman. It was on like 50 years ago, give or take. Mark, you're dating yourself. Well, there's no reason I shouldn't. Anyway, I, I linked to it up on my uh, social sites. You can get it on Amazon. It's, Ollie writes wonderful books, and it is The Rifleman. I hope you'll get it for the holidays. Grab your copy, and we'll have Ollie on uh, next year. Um, I don't have Car Shield. Oh, I do? Yeah, you're right. Computer systems in cars are the new normal. I have Car Shield on our 2010 Camaro, by the way, and I'm damn glad we do. Because all the problems that can go wrong from electronically controlled transmissions to touchscreen displays to dozens of sensors. But all this advanced tech is expensive to fix if and when it breaks. That's why I have CarShield. CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for a covered repair, including computers, GPS, electronics, and more. CarShield has helped over 1 million customers. So drive with confidence knowing you got coverage from America's number one auto protection provider. Like we do. Whether you have 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles on your website, it's inevitable. Something's going to break. Get covered by CarShield today. They're there. You can call them right now. 800-CAR-6000. Mention code LEVIN or visit carshield.com. Use code LEVIN. You'll save 10% either way. That's 800-CAR-6000. 
or at carshield.com. Use code Levin either way. Get your 10%. A deductible may apply. By the way, I also need to mention all the magnificent uh, affiliates we have on the AM and FM dials all across America who carry this show. I want to thank you very, very much uh, for the vast, overwhelming majority of us. We're wonderful partners, and uh, I just think you're terrific. And I also want to thank uh, Sirius Satellite, their magnificent job that they do, and our podcast and so forth. Well, Ollie, it's good you're here. Uh, now you have five minutes. Tell us about The Rifleman. Well, it's a story about Daniel Morgan, who would have been, if he were still alive today, a neighbor of mine out here in Clark County. And he, George Washington, who'd met him first in the French and Indian War, got to admire him. They'd fought together. And he summons Morgan to be one of the first ten rifle companies in a brand-new Continental Army once he gets to Boston on the 14th of June, 1775. He says, come to, come, come to uh, Boston with 100 rifles, 100 Virginia rifles, and of course means the guys to carry him. takes him 21 days to get his riflemen, a company plus, from right where I live, right here on the Shenandoah River, all the way to Boston, and I-95 was not there. And then Morgan gets selected to lead the first offensive operation of the Revolutionary War. And the first revolutionary, first uh, offensive operation happens to be the invasion of Canada. It was because Congress wanted them to do it. Ali, uh, what year was that? 1775. Yeah. And, and, of course, it's going to Canada through the incredible mountains of Maine in the middle of winter. And I don't want to give away the end of the story, but it's a disaster. And so I, the reason I started writing the book was because people three years ago started saying bad things about the commander-in-chief. Well, it turns out, if you look back at the documents from 1775, there were headlines and handbills and, and, and you know, post-it notes and things like that that, that went along. Here's, here's one of them. From 1775, our nation's capital is in the midst of seemingly intractable, destructive disarray. Opponents of our commander-in-chief have launched intrigues in Congress to remove him from his post. Spies, traitor, and terrorists abound. Does this sound familiar? Mm-hmm. It's, this is not 19, you know, 2019. This is 1775. So they had liberals back then too. They did. They were called Tories. Yes. We were. We were the. We were the rebels. <laughs> or the Patriots, and they were the Tories or Loyalists. But even though the lexicon has changed, Washington is not. Obviously, the capital then was Philadelphia. Uh, Washington was the commander-in-chief, not Donald Trump. What was the capital? Philadelphia. I just wanted to hear you say that again. <laughs> what? <laughs> I love you, buddy. <laughs> yeah. First of all, I, I want people to know something. Yeah. We don't talk much, but well, we, we are. But we, I want people to know... That we are very, very good friends. We are indeed, and have been for many, many years. And always will be. Other great controversies. Oh, yes. And I'm grateful for your friendship. I don't get to see you at my favorite place to have a hot dog anymore. Costco. You got it. Do you still pop in there? I pop in there not as much. I do. I I do. I I still go there. In fact, right now, they are out of my book, so I'm not happy. Well, then people need to, let me me put it, let let me help you on this. Folks, you want to get the book, you want to get it in time, you're at a retail store, that's great. My suggestion, get on Amazon right now, The Rifleman, 
You'll have the book tomorrow. You'll have the book the next day. You'll have the book right away in time for Christmas and Hanukkah. If you're going to Barnes & Noble or you're going to the warehouse stores and you're there, obviously take a look. But if you want to have it in your hands, in your hands, go to Amazon.com. And I'm going to tell you something. This is a fascinating book. You're an excellent historian, particularly when it comes to our military history. And look, the beginning of the country is military history, Yeah. quite frankly. And I knew nothing about this story. Nothing. I didn't know about the rifleman. So it's fascinating to me. He's a near neighbor. You well, think about it. I tell yeah. the Boy Scouts when they, you know, they assemble Betsy's Farm out here on the river is a, a place for the Boy Scouts to camp out and get their survival merit badge and their... And, all the kinds of things that require outdoor stuff. And I tell them, we'll stand up there on the ridge right above the Appalachian Trail. And I point down to where Washington stopped his survey for Lord Fairfax right on the river because it, he needed a ford across it. And the Castleman's Bridge was the Castleman's Ford. And I love to point to the Boy Scouts and I turn around, face northeast. That's the route that George Washington took to get to Boston, and he walked the 600 miles in 21 days, kids, and I-95 wasn't there. Do you think George Washington, with the media we have today, and all the defeats that took place till the end, think he would have survived? No, no. In fact, there was an assassination plot that was lodged by people who routinely talked to Washington's enemies in the Congress. The remarkable thing about Washington is... In the aftermath of driving the British out of Boston, he realizes New York is going to be the next target. And so he starts moving the Continental Army, such as it was, and he finds a handful of people. Now get this, Israel Putnam was from mm-hmm. Connecticut. Would you trust anyone from Connecticut today to lead people into combat? Mm. One of the reasons, and Washington makes it very clear during the, this is later on, after, after several other major battles in which Daniel Morgan is a part, Washington makes it very clear that one of the reasons we beat the British is every home in America had a firearm. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Yeah. What we're, what, look what we're about to face in Virginia. I mean... And, and God bless these counties, mostly yeah. rural or outer suburban yeah. counties that are saying, you know what, this uh, sanctuary stuff... We like it now. Wait, you know what? We can play that game, too. So here's the, here's the prophecy. I don't have to give the prophecy. I'm not Jewish. I, I can't be a prophet. <laughs> so, so, but when I was with the president last week, I said to him, he says, What's, how's this going to turn out? Just like he talks to you and me, right? I mean, how's this going to turn out? I said, here's, here's my prediction. I don't have to give the prophecy. You're going to be impeached. The, the, the Senate is not going to convict you. You are going to get reelected. And we are going to retake the House of Representatives. I think that's what Nancy's up to right now. That's why this thing is not moving across the, across the other side of the Capitol. I think she's finally realized, oh, my God, I made a terrible mistake. And I think my, my little prediction is, is likely to turn out well, just like it did for George Washington. And you know what, Ollie North? If your prediction turns out well, and God willing, uh, they should reverse this impeachment. Because it's unconstitutional, their process is unconstitutional. Yep. And they should, for all time, make it abundantly clear that this con- the next Congress, will not go along with this. Do so you want to tell your listeners how I know that you're right? How? Because you were. You don't want me to tell them. I know you're right. Uh-oh. Because when I first got to know Mark Levin, he was in a very, very important post 
at the department. Don't tell people what I did, though. No, 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 no. All right, all right. No, no, we keep that secret. Well, you're a great American, and I'm grateful for our friendship, our long and and profitable friendship. Yes. Yeah, it has been. And by the way, that's not a four-letter word. Profitable? No. According to Joe Biden, it's a three-letter word. Well, Ali, listen to me. You and your family, you must have 400 grandkids by now. Only 18. How many kids do you have again? Four. Four. Wow. We're we're very productive. Yes, you are. And that's a good thing. And they're all going to be here starting tomorrow. I may come take refuge. (laughs) (laughs) But isn't that exciting to have all of them around there? It is great. You just kind of look at what what's gone. This is your legacy. No, no, it is. None of us can take anything with us, but we can no. leave good things behind. And there's 18 of them, and I think it's it's probably tapped out at this point. But I don't know because the youngest is just three months old. And they can always adopt. They can adopt another twenty. There you go. That's true. Connected well, by by DNA and love. Yeah. Holly, we love you. This whole audience yeah. adores you, folks. Go out. The Rifleman is a fantastic book. It's a real history book. But the very beginning of the Revolutionary War. Ali North, God bless you, my friend. You're a great American. I love you. Simplify you too. Yourself. Love you, buddy. Take care. Man, oh man, Ashevitz, he and I were involved in a lot, Mr. Bruce. A lot of good stuff, important stuff. What am I doing now? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I want to remind you, folks, my wonderful listeners, time's running out on Simply Safe's huge holiday offer. It's their biggest sale of the year. If you're looking to fully protect your home with award-winning 24-7 home security, now's the time to do it. Burglaries spike during the holiday season with families traveling and leaving empty homes and expensive gifts behind. Simply Safe's hol- holiday sale couldn't come at a better time. Simply Safe has everything you need to protect your home and family. There's a smart lock and video doorbell and uh, to defend your front door, an army of sensors and cameras that guards every window, door, and room in your home. If there's a break-in, they can give real-time video confirmation to police as it happens, so police respond up to 3.5 times faster. Simply Safe made a holiday offer with my listeners in mind, 25% off. 25% off, and a free HD security camera, but it ends December 31st. Now, they rarely do deals like this, so now is your chance. Visit simplysafelevin.com, simplysafelevin.com. And remember, this sale ends December 31st. Go today to simplysafelevin.com. Well, you need to get your engines Worked on, you know, during the uh, during the break. So we're ready for the next battle, and there'll be a lot of battles coming for our country. And the best way to do it is what I was talking about before: family and friends and some downtime. Doesn't mean you have to be an ostrich about these things, but it's an important thing. And uh, let's see if we have a really, really good caller there, Mister Producer. Who do we have? Yeah. WTCM, Bill in Michigan. Please, go right ahead. Well, hello, Mr. Levin. You've got one minute. One minute. Go. Okay. Uh, I had a quick question on this uh, two articles of impeachment that Nancy Pelosi is holding back. 
I heard that the other day uh, someone had mentioned that she could hold them in perpetuity. And my question is, if that is in fact true, if the next election comes up and they manage to flip the Senate, to uh, Democrat control, can she hold it that long and then present no, it to first, the first of all, she can't hold them one Congress to the next. That That is a fact. Uh, she can't bind one House uh, to the next when it comes to a matter of impeachment. So people are coming up with some screwy ideas. Okay, well, and number two, this can be ended very, very quickly and must be ended very, very quickly. And Mr. McConnell needs to do it very quickly. Null and void. It's that simple. She went on recess. The House is on recess. It's over. That should be the Senate response. Thank you, my friend. Here we go. In your honor, this Friday, the last of the year, America.
Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and Happy Hanukkah to each and every one of you. God bless you from my family to yours. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Good night to all my my little doggy guys. We love you so much. And good night, Dad, and good night, Mom, and good night, Leo. Leo was my father-in-law, people ask. And the best to you, the best of health, and the best of success, and the best of wishes. Thank you for everything, and God bless you, and I'll see you next year. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.